Well, hello, my friends. I hope that you are well this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. I want to invite you, uh, as always, to gather around God's Word with me. We're working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And what we're doing is we're really witnessing the life and ministry of Jesus. And where we're going to be this morning is we're going to begin chapter 12 in Matthew. Up to this point in the ministry of Jesus, he's actually yet to have any major conflicts with religious leaders. I mean, he's had some. I mean, I don't want to say he's got none. There are these examples so far in Matthew's gospel where, where Jesus will say something, he'll teach something, and the scribes and Pharisees will kind of mutter under their breath, or Jesus will assume what they're thinking negatively. And also there's that, that encounter where Jesus was at Matthew's house after he called Matthew the tax collector. Uh, and, and Matthew's there, and he's got his friends there, so there's these sinners and tax collectors and Jesus is eating a meal with them, and the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask him why he would eat with, you know, sinners and tax collectors. But for the most part, up to this point, the disputes between Jesus and the Pharisees have been pretty minimal. I want to tell you that all that's going to change in chapter 12, that the tensions between Jesus and the Pharisees are really going to begin to build. And, and I hope that you realize that, that ultimately the tensions between Jesus and the Pharisees are going to culminate in the crucifixion. And so the specific thing that's, that's really at hand in Matthew chapter 12, it's really about the Sabbath day. And so I think we need to talk a little bit about Sabbath before we get into our text. Uh, we read uh, in, in the very beginning of Genesis, in, in the creation account, that God created in, in six days and on the seventh day that God rested. We read more about the Sabbath in Exodus 16 that Moses commanded the Israelites to gather manna on the sixth day because they were not to work on the seventh day. So they were to, on the sixth day, they were, they were, you know, gather enough manna for both the sixth and the seventh day. And by the time we get to Exodus chapter 20, what we begin to discover is that right down in the middle of the Ten Commandments, you find the commandment to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy. So uh, what I want to do is just read that together. We'll read from uh, where, for the Ten Commandments here where it talks about the Sabbath. It's Exodus 20, uh, 8 through 17. This is what it says. Uh, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, uh, you should not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So let me ask you this. Does it not seem to you like the Sabbath is important? Like, like maybe the Sabbath is a big deal. Like, like here it is listed in the Ten Commandments to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And, and all the people that work for you, all the people in your household should do the same. Now, a natural question for you might be to ask this. How exactly does one honor the Sabbath and keep it holy? Well, I want to look at Scripture with you and kind of see what it says, at least through the, through the Old Testament, so we can understand what Jesus is living in. Let's look at what Scripture says. Well, everywhere you look in Scripture, the Sabbath is tied to this idea of, of rest. At, at its very core, the Sabbath is about, it's about rest, like, like physical rest, but also spiritual rest. 
And so if we were to look at uh, Leviticus 23.3, I think we're going we're to glean something from there. It says this, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all of your dwelling places. You see that? What, what it says here about it is that, that it is a, is a day of solemn rest and a day of holy convocation, a day of holy convocation. What does that mean? What, what is a convocation? A convocation is it's a, um, a large formal assembly of people. That's what a convocation is. Why would the people of Israel assemble on the Sabbath? They assemble to worship God corporately, like together as the church, as Israel, right? So, so we have two primary elements so far of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for rest, and it's for this idea of, of corporate worship together. And beyond that, look, look, what, look what else we can learn in Exodus 31, verses 12 through 13. This is what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, so this is God telling Moses what to say, okay? That, so that's probably pretty important. It comes straight from the mouth of the Lord. It says this, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord, that I, the Lord, excuse me, sanctify you. So, so it starts off by saying, like, above all things, he's got a lot of things he's sharing with them. You shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign. It's a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I'm your God and that I sanctify you. The Sabbath was to be a sign, a sign that, that God's people took upon themselves, a, a sign that they belong to him, and a sign that they recognize that he is the one who saves them or sanctifies them. And so I'll say it one more time for the people in the back. If you think God takes the Sabbath lightly, you are mistaken. The Sabbath is a sign that points to God's covenant with his people. And ultimately, that sign has, has, has to do with rest, and it has to do with worship, and it has to do with pointing to the saving works of God. So that's the background that I wanted to build on the Sabbath before we read our text for today. So we're ready to read Matthew 12. And as we do, it is our tradition to just stand as a way of, of showing reverence to God's Word. So please stand if you're able to. And, uh, and we're going to read out of Matthew 12. But before we do, let's take a moment to pause in prayer. Father, we pray that as we come as the church and gather around your word, that your spirit would be our aid to understanding, that we would have conviction in our hearts, we would have insight, that you would be honored. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. And all the church said, amen. All right, let's read together, beginning in, in 12.1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. 
And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he went on from there and he entered uh, their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I like to imagine the story we read happening like this. The disciples um, and Jesus wake up one Sabbath morning, and they're on their way to the synagogue. That's what they're doing. And as they're walking along, the Pharisees are, are kind of walking behind the disciples so that they can kind of see them. And Jesus is kind of near the back of the disciples, kind of walking with the Pharisees. And look what happens in verses 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the disciples saw it, they said to Jesus, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are offended by the disciples. And I I just need to be really clear, it's really not about what the disciples are doing. It's not about the lawlessness of their actions. Uh, Because if you're in Israel, the law stated that it it was legal to to glean handfuls of grain, okay? I mean, you could do this. As you pass by a field, it, it was not against the law to reach out and take a little bit of grain and eat it. For yourself, there was this understanding between all the farmers and the travelers and the poor that they were to like leave a little bit on the edges so that those who were passing by or those who were poor could glean the edges. The problem was not what they were doing. The problem was when they were doing it. Because the Pharisees considered this idea of of plucking grain off the stalk, they considered that to be work. And for them, since the disciples were doing this on the Sabbath, they were Sabbath breakers. And, and, I mean, I think you and I hear this and we're like, really? I mean, this seems a little bit legalistic. And, and we, maybe you wonder how they got there. Well, let me try to explain the best I can. Um, while the Old Testament said that God's people are to not work on the Sabbath, it wasn't always clear about how it defined work. We know work is bad. We know we're supposed to rest from our work. But, but what exactly is work? To what extent do we define work? And, and by, by now we know that the scribes and the Pharisees were more than willing to go an extra mile and, and to really go beyond Scripture and to create extra rules so that there wasn't even a chance that someone could accidentally work on the Sabbath. So, so that's what they did. They, they wrote pages and pages and chapters and chapters of rules in the Talmud about what constitutes work on Sabbath. And the truth is, like if you were to come and you were to read this, it borderlines on the ridiculous. Let me read to you some of the things that that you would find in the Talmud about how the Pharisees and, and the Jews at this time would define work. 
For instance, you, you couldn't travel more than 3,000 feet from your home on the Sabbath. So they, they went ahead and defined that for you. So you made sure you weren't able to work. So if you traveled 3,001 feet, you were working. But 3,000 feet, you weren't working. Uh, unless on the day before the Sabbath, you took food and you planted that food 3,000 feet away from your home. You could just kind of leave it there. And then that would count as your home also. And so what you could do is you could travel 3,000 feet, then you get to your food, and then you have another 3,000 feet beyond that. And then if you went 3,000 feet beyond that, you could plant more food, and then you could just continue this process for perpetuity, right? I mean, like, and so, okay, I, I guess that makes sense. So you're not working now? Like, it, it's a silly way of thinking of things. There were all kinds of rules about what you were allowed to pick up there were certain things that you could lift in public, and there were certain things that, that could only be lifted in private. And, and listen, it was so specific as, as to say, you could never carry a, bur a burden, a burden, okay, you could never carry a burden that weighed more than a dried fig. And, and, and if you threw something in the air with your right hand and you caught it with your left hand on the Sabbath, it was a Sabbath violation. But if you threw it with your right hand and you caught it with your right hand, it was not a Sabbath violation. A tailor, someone who, who stitched clothes, could not carry a needle on the Sabbath or it was considered a violation. A student could not carry a book. Nothing could be washed. No fires could be lit. Cold water could be poured on warm water, but warm water could not be poured on cold water. You could not cook anything. You could not take a bath. And the reason you could not take a bath was because of fear that you might spear, spill water on the floor and then you would have to work to clean it up on the Sabbath. Chairs could not be moved in your home, nor candles blown out. Can you see what the Sabbath has become for Israel? It's become a burden. It's become a lot of hard work. The day of rest has become a burden, and the day of rest has become the hardest day of work possible. It's supposed to be about rest and worship and a sign of God's covenant people, but it was not rest at all. It was a heavy, heavy yoke. And not because, by the way, Scripture mandated all these rules. It's, not, it's because the Jewish tradition had created all these ways of trying to put a fence around the Sabbath to make sure no one broke it. And, and this was oppressive legalism. Uh, so when the disciples pluck this grain, they're breaking these Jewish customs, and the Pharisees are going to say, Jesus, your disciples are not lawful. They're rule breakers, right? Uh, but Jesus knows the heart of the Sabbath. And this is what Jesus says to them. Verses 3, he says this. He says to them, have you not read, and, and, and listen, every time that Jesus is going to be quoting these scriptures, he's kind of assuming in, the, in, in his questions that they don't know their scripture, and it's very insulting to them. He, he, so he says to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. So what's happening here is Jesus is referencing a story about David. It was a time in David's life when, when David was, was an, an outlaw, if you would say it. You know, David was not yet king. He had, he had already been anointed as God's chosen king, but Saul was king still. And David was being chased by a jealous King Saul, and, and he had been on the run for a long time, and his, his men and him were very hungry. And they came hungry to the tabernacle. And they approached the priest when they went in there, and, and David asked the priest to give him some food to eat. And the only food that the priest had was these 12 loaves of bread, which they called the showbread. You ever heard of the showbread before? 
The showbread was a, it was a special bread that was placed before God in, there in, in, in the sanctuary. And these 12 loaves, they, they symbolized the 12 tribes of Israel. They, they were really big loaves, actually. And as part of the duty of, of the priests, they, they kept these rebaked on a regular basis so that they were always fresh before the Lord. I think they, if memory serves, they baked them a, a new loaf every seven days. And, uh, and when it was replaced, one of the privileges that the priest had was of eating the old showbread. That was, that was a way that the priest could feed themselves as part of their duty. But only the priest could eat the showbread. It, it was part of the ceremonial law. Uh, but Jesus says that when David shows up hungry, he asks for the priest to give him this showbread, which was only allowed for the priest to eat. And, and even though it was not lawful, some reason the priest gave it to them. I guess the point is, I guess the question could be asked, what is the point here? God has established these holy rituals for his people to worship. But the, the point that Jesus is making is that these holy rituals should never supersede mercy. Mercy is, is greater than ritual. Like, like here, like all of us, like we have some, some rituals, if you will, in our church. We, we always gather around the Word of God and it's preached, and we always stand when we read the Word of God. So those are kind of our rituals, right? Now, if we were in the middle of one of our rituals, and someone in our church had a medical emergency in the middle of, of reading the Scripture, in the middle of a sermon, uh, we're not going to ignore that emergency because our ritual is not more important than offering mercy to people, right? So Jesus' first rebuttal of the Pharisees is that Mercy on the Sabbath trumps rituals. Here's Jesus' second rebuttal to the Pharisees. It begins in verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Here's the logic behind this statement. Jesus says the priests in the temple, they, they somehow profane the Sabbath, and yet they're held guiltless. So I've got two questions. How? Do the priests profane the Sabbath, and why are they held guiltless? First, how, how do the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath? I, I'm going to suggest to you that the way that, that the priests profane the Sabbath in the logic that Jesus is presenting here is the same way that a pastor profanes the Sabbath in today's world, because the pastor is working on the Sabbath, right, uh, or on, on the Lord's Day. The, all of our worship directors, our children's directors, most of our church staff, we find ourselves working on what we consider the Sabbath. Jesus says that the priests have, have to work on the Sabbath, in fact. The, the priests have, have God-ordained duties on the Sabbath. The temple must host the worship of God's people. And therefore, because of this, the priests are not found guilty when they work on the Sabbath, Temple life was, was sort of, temple work was, was exempt from Sabbath law because it facilitated Sabbath worship. And this is what Jesus tells them. This is really interesting what he does next. Verse 6, he says this, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Just as it was God's will for the work of the temple to happen on the Sabbath, something greater than the temple is at hand, something that provides a greater Sabbath something that provides a greater rest, something that is, that is from the Father, an even greater sign of the covenant. Jesus, of, of course, is talking about himself. And if, and if the priests were considered guiltless when they served the temple, right, certainly the disciples should be guiltless when they serve Jesus, who is greater than the temple. 
And the Pharisees' response, can you imagine what they would be thinking? It would be, it would be guttural. The Pharisees would be gritting their teeth and they would whisper about how Jesus was blasphemous. And if you see like the way that every one of these phrases to the, to the uh, Pharisees was, was, was spoken, Jesus was insinuating over and over again that they did not know God. This is what he said, have you not read about uh, David? Have you not read the law? If you had only known what this means, this is the way that Jesus continues to speak to them. The Pharisees were not used to this kind of authority. And this, this ultimately is not a passage about Sabbath rules. I think more than that, it's a passage about who Jesus is. Back up a few verses and just where we were last week. Jesus says just a few verses earlier than what we're reading today in, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. You'll remember this if you were here last week. Jesus said this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you uh, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, this, this Sabbath story, Matthew knew what he was doing when he was, when he was putting all this together. It, it serves to explain uh, who is heavy laden and why. The people of Israel, they have, they have no Sabbath rest. Because the Sabbath has become so burdensome, it's no longer what God intended. It's full of these man-made rules. It's the most difficult day of the week now. There's no rest in the broken view of the Sabbath. And, and really, it's just a microcosm of all of religious Israel right now. Jesus says in, in verses 7 and 8 this, And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Remember when Jesus said that he was greater than the temple? It was just a few verses early. He says, something greater than the temple is here, which would have been considered blasphemy. Now Jesus refers to himself here as, um, as the Son of Man. And it's, it's not an empty title. The Son of Man is, is not an empty title. It doesn't mean that he's a son of some man somewhere. The Son of Man is a reference to the divine king which is prophesied about in the book of Daniel. Let's read real quickly of what Jesus is saying about himself in, in this. This is the first time Jesus has made this comment about himself in Matthew's gospel. Daniel 7, 13 through 14, this is, this is what the Son of Man is. He says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. This was all given to the Son of Man. Uh, to the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom was one that shall not be destroyed. So do you see what Jesus has done? Jesus is claimed to be the great son of man. He's claimed to be the great king of kings, that, that all nations will serve him and that his kingdom will not pass away. And he says that, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And for the Pharisees, this is blasphemous. But for all of God's people, it is hopeful because Jesus offers you a true Sabbath rest. While the Pharisees are still fuming about this, what does Jesus do? 
he goes to his destination. He goes into the synagogue. And when Jesus goes inside, he finds a man there, and the man has a, a withered hand. And the Pharisees follow him in. And they're still fuming and plotting so that they could come up with some way to trap Jesus. And, and, and they, they do. They come up with a way seeing the man with a withered hand. Look at verse 10. It says this, And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked Jesus, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Now, according to the pharisaical law, which is what they thought the law was, right? According to that law, you could, you could heal someone who was dying on the Sabbath, but not someone who was just maimed or injured. So, so this guy was obviously not dying, and the Pharisees would categorize a healing of this kind as unnecessary work. Which, with the craziest thing about this whole story for me is that there's an assumption of the Pharisees that Jesus can heal, right? There's just great, like, like if they assume that he can do miracles and heal, how can they not know that this is the Messiah? How can they not know that this is the Lord? They're going to trick a man who can, who can do miraculous healings and then, do, and, and then judge him saying that the, the, the healings don't meet their standards. So Jesus comes up with a hypothetical situation. He offers it to them. Verses 11 through 13. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. I don't think Peter would love this verse, but I think the basic truth of this is that the worth of, of, of a man is more than the worth of a sheep. And uh, it it appears from what I've read that there was some Jewish law that, that, that assumed that you had the right to rescue your sheep on the Sabbath. Um, it's it sort of inferred in our story, really. Jesus seems to be saying, you guys allow for the rescuing of, of sheep. Is man not more important than a, than a sheep? And what we begin to see here, and I think what Jesus is pointing out is that these laws had gotten so convoluted that they no longer allowed for space for good works to be done on the Sabbath. In the same way, you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and we, we, we understand the Good Samaritan, that, that it's simply a made-up parable of Jesus. It's not a story that's something that really happened. It's a, it's a story that he made up to teach by. But, but many will assume when looking at the story of the Good Samaritan that the, that the reason that the Levite and the priest did not stop to give aid to the man who had been uh, overcome and had been, been robbed and left on the side of the road is because they did not want to become unclean. There's more and more of this practice of the day where, where there was all this value for all the, the ceremony, but no value for mercy. How is God honored, Jesus might say, when you don't love your neighbor? And your excuse is, I can't, because it's, it's the Sabbath. So Jesus tells this man to reach out his hand. And he restores it to health. And i got to tell you, this is, this is one of the only miracles uh, that Jesus does where, where, where the person never asks for it. The person doesn't come up and request it. Jesus just sees it and he, just, and he chooses of his own goodwill to heal this guy. And he does it. And he won't, he won't give in to the Pharisees. And he, he could easily say, you're right, this isn't an emergency. I'm not going to do it today. And come back the next day and do it. But Jesus is destined for the cross. What do we as God's people take from this reading today? It speaks first to who Jesus is, doesn't it? And it has some things to say about uh, what you should do on the Sabbath. So let's talk first about Jesus. Jesus reveals in the scripture that he is greater than the temple. That his work is God's work. 
That just as the priest's work is consecrated on the Sabbath, so is the work of Jesus consecrated on the Sabbath. Jesus says that he is the Son of Man, the great King of Kings, and that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then he demonstrates that as a king, he is a compassionate king who heals on the Sabbath. Thanks be to Jesus, who is always our prophet, our priest, and our king, and who rules with compassion, and who brings to us and offers to us, as the writer of Hebrews says, uh, true Sabbath in Christ. So what can be said of us as to how we are to approach the Sabbath? Let me say a few things more about the Sabbath. Since the resurrection of Jesus, we often call the Sabbath the Lord's Day. That's, that's kind of more of the way the Christians sometimes talk about the Sabbath. We talk about the Lord's Day. And we celebrate the Lord's Day or the Sabbath on the day of our Lord's resurrection. And we understand that the Lord's Day is Sunday. But for us, it's, it is a functional Sabbath. It's a day that we devote to, to resting in Jesus, to resting from our, from our labors, to assembling as the church. And we do all this as a sign that we are God's people and he is our salvation, right? The problem with Israel was the burden of the Sabbath provided no rest. That is not the problem in our culture. It's not that... that, that teachers of today ask you too much on the Sabbath. I think the problem is that many who call themselves Christians do not feel the need to honor the Sabbath in any way. This is not a text today that says, do what you want on the Sabbath. That is not what this text is about. This is a text that says, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And you should not refrain from doing good works on the Sabbath that honor God. You see, what I know about our church is that in every church, and, 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 and listen, I think all churches, is that they are full of people who come to church once a month. Why is that? I'm not trying to lay any kind of pharisaical burden on you, but the greater danger, I fear, is that you don't care about the sacredness of the Lord's Day. Thank God for our text. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Sabbath rest. May you use today for rest and for worship and for acts of mercy that please the Lord. Can we pray together this morning? Father, thank you for your teaching by your word where we read about how Jesus responds as Lord of the Sabbath. Or we learn what is expected of us in the Sabbath, Father. May you bring conviction, but may you also bring rest the kind of rest that comes where we understand that we are saved by grace through faith. But being saved people, God, we are not sent out into the world to make the work of Jesus cheap, but to try and discipline ourselves to worship God in ways that sometimes require sacrifice and to keep that sign that was between us and, and, and the Lord of what the Sabbath is, a sign that reminds us that we are God's people and it is by him that we are sanctified. Father, may you be worshipped today by your people on your Sabbath, and may you give them rest. And all the church said, Amen.